0: Home. The Wizard of Oz. How many of you have seen it less than ten times in your lifetime? <laughs> less than, By the time I was grown up, I'd seen it ten times or more. Wizard of Oz, it's a great and famous children's story, but did you know that it wasn't originally written as a children's story at all? It was originally written as a political allegory in the 1896 presidential election. J. Frank Mom was a supporter of William Jennings Bryan, the Democrat on the right, and he was against William McKinley, the man who eventually won the election on the left. And the battle that was going on, I'll try and simplify it, I have to because I don't fully understand it, was a battle between people who wanted silver as the the standard for our money and people who wanted gold as the standard for our money. And it was almost an east-west kind of thing because in the east they had more gold and they wanted gold And in the West, they had more silver and they wanted silver. And he wrote the story. He wanted Brian, but he felt like Brian was not bold enough. He was kind of a cowardly Brian. And he represented him in the story as a lion. The rest are all represented too. I want to say Judy. What's her name? Dorothy, Dorothy, thank you. I heard Scarlet. (laughs) I'll think about that tomorrow. Um, (laughs) Dorothy is is the symbol of all America. She's the everyman. She's all of us, just the ordinary person from the middle of the country. The scarecrow represents the the American farmer. The tin man represents the eastern factory workers. The lion, of course, is Brian. The Wizard of Oz is any president, not just McKinley, who wasn't president yet when it was written, And Oz is the abbreviation for what? For ounce. You were talking about ounces of silver versus ounces of gold. What kind of slippers did uh, Dorothy wear in the movie? Did you know that's not what she wore in the book? She wore silver slippers. And the, the, the brick road was gold. That's what the yellow brick road was all about. She was on her way to the Emerald City, which was Washington, to see the Wizard of Oz, who was the president. And she took Toto with her. In those days, prohibition was on the rise. There was a growing political block of special interest people called the teetotalers. And they could go either way, so both sides were courting them and their votes. And the everyman was traveling with the teetotalers, or better known as Toto, the dog. Isn't that interesting? Now, you've heard this story before, but you never knew there was a whole bunch of political stuff, well, a whole bunch of then current events. Behind the story Well the same is true when we look at the book of Exodus when we look at the story of Moses If we study some history It's harder to do because you study different scholars and they're coming up with different conclusions as we've seen and even with dates You can't get exact dates because you look in one place They say it was then and then they say it was then and then even when you look up the Pharaohs You try and find out when they lived. three different scholars give you a different period of time They're all in the right century but you get glimpses of history. And I want to suggest to you that in this story, a lot of the things that happen come to life when you understand the stuff that was going on historically behind these events. In these verses, we come to the end of the first life of Moses. Do you remember this? What's the, name of, what's the title of our series? Holy Moses what? The three lives of a mighty prophet. How long did Moses live? 120 years. What what is 120 divided by three? And his life was forty different periods. The first one he was a prince in Egypt. The second one he was what? Which we're about to go into. A shepherd in Midian. And the third one he was a prophet, taking people to the promised land. We are coming to the end of that first section, so I want to do a quick review while looking at the historical background to a great many of the things that were happening. So go back to chapter one Go back to verse 8. All right. Now, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. You remember Joseph. And you go through in the book of Genesis, you find that Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And eventually, through a whole bunch of coincidental divine workings, he winds up being second in charge to Pharaoh. When there's a famine all over the old world even in Canaan where his brothers are who had sold him into slavery and they come to him to be saved from the famine and he saves them from the famine he introduces them to Pharaoh Pharaoh gives them all favor the Israelites all move into Goshen the land of Goshen in a city that is not mentioned by name in the scriptures but was Avaris and they settled there in favor with the Egyptians But later, after that particular pharaoh died, another pharaoh arose who was not situated, not inclined to be so gracious towards them. And you wonder why. Well, if you look at the next verse, it says this. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Why would he think that? Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world at the time. But if you read history, you find that in the 17th century B.C., Probably 200 years before this, there was a, a an army called the Hyksos, a people that came out of the Middle East and actually conquered Egypt for a time. They ruled them. There were even pharaohs who were Hyksos, and this was a fear among the Egyptians ever thereafter. So this wasn't arising out of nothing. This was arising out of their history. After 9/11, weren't you kind of afraid that something terrible was going to happen next? Weren't you very aware all of a sudden of all the people in other parts of the world that hated us? My mother, I remember, she talked about after, after Pearl Harbor, she was looking in the sky every time she heard planes. She thought it might be the Japanese coming. And from my perspective, I'm thinking, Mom, you were in Minnesota. That would have been quite a ride. But in her mind, emotionally, we've been attacked once. We could be attacked again. This is where Egypt was at. The pharaoh was looking at their history. He was seeing all these favored foreigners. I'm not justifying it, but it is understandable from a human perspective. And he was saying, boy, they're getting numerous. These guys could have been saying these guys could be the Hyksos all over again. Verse 10: Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us, and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses, and we talked about that earlier. We don't know exactly which pharaoh it was that turned on them, but given the timing in Scripture, the pharaohs that we find in the book of Exodus, or at least during the first part of it, were likely the three Thutmoses. Now notice I did not say the three Titmouses; Those would probably have been much sweeter. But the three Thutmoses, T-H-U-T-M-O-S-E. They were part of the 18th dynasty. Thutmose number one or Thutmose the first there he is or at least there's a depiction of him was said to be a very harsh man in some of his uh, murals on the wall it's not the word is not murals because it's carved into stone it says he always carried a rod of discipline and it is likely when you examine the timing of the scriptures what you remember we looked at Galatians which told us that the uh, the exodus took place 430 years after Abraham and Abraham lived in the 1800s B.C., and it tells us that this temple of Solomon was built 480 years after the Exodus, and that was built in the 900s B.C. This puts us pretty much in the middle of the 1400s or 15th century B.C., and these were the Thutmose's. Thutmose I was a harsh man. And it is believed by many, myself included, that he is the one who issued forth this decree. Verse 15 of chapter 1. Then the king of Egypt, possibly Thutmose I, spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other was named Puah. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. He wanted to destroy the Israelites by destroying the sons and having the daughters apparently intermingle and marry into the other families. This was likely Thutmose I. He had a son named Thutmose II who never really ruled for very long and we don't know that much about him. We do know that he married his half-sister. They did that in royal families throughout history and they did it in ancient Egypt. But the fascinating thing is his half-sister was the only daughter... Of the first daughter of Pharaoh her name was Hapshepsut and that is a depiction of her Hapshepsut was a regent for 20 years not officially a Pharaoh and she did mighty things in Egypt she's supposed to have opened up the trade routes that had been closed after the invasion of the Hyksos which brought riches back into Egypt once again she was one of the greatest builders in Egyptian history she was a great ruler And she was also the only daughter of Thutmose the first. Now think about that. If Thutmose the first is the one who issued the command to kill all the babies. And he had one daughter. Do we have that daughter in scripture? Yeah. Go to to chapter 2. Are you with me? Make yourselves known. All I hear is a fan. Say, hallelujah. Come on now. You what? Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Is that an Arkansas thing? I <laughs> really wish should start doing that. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Now, I'm not talking on this because we've already talked on it. I've already covered these passages. But when she could hide no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it, and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance, that's Miriam, to find out what would happen to him. The daughter, notice it's not a daughter, but the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. Now, in the chronologies that I've looked at, most likely, if this is Hatshepsut, she was a young girl herself, probably nine or ten years old, which, which actually makes it interesting that she has that conversation with Miriam. Perhaps Miriam was able to approach her in a way that had they both been adults, it might never have happened. You see what I'm saying? Kids take to each other far more quickly than adults do. They're much more open to things. This, if this was Hatshepsut, she was very young herself, and she had compassion on this little boy. Verse 6, when she opened it and she saw the child, Behold, the boy was crying and she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the child went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me while I give you your wages. So the woman took him, the child and nursed him and I, I, I. I rejoiced in God's sense of humor when I preached on this before. Here the Pharaoh is saying, kill all the male children. And this particular child who has a mighty calling on his life, God institutes. And now Miriam played a role in it, but God gave her blessing in all of this. Um, And by the end of it, Moses is not only alive, he's adopted into Pharaoh's own family. His own regular mother is now going to continue to nurse him openly, and she's going to get paid for it. God doesn't have a sense of humor don't be at war with God you're gonna lose so here we go verse uh, verse 11 now it came about in those days yes that is where we are wait a minute let me check something before I go to that okay now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up then he went out to his brethren and looked on their labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his brethren I've already made the case repeatedly that Moses did not come to know of his Hebrew background as an adult. All the inferences in Scripture, um, not only in God speaking to him about being the God of Abraham with the assumption that Moses knew who the God of Abraham was, but he also later talks about his brother Aaron with the apparent assumption that he knew Aaron. So Moses undoubtedly knew his Jewish family even as he was growing up as a prince in Egypt. This was a, like a dichotomous life. He knew the slaves. He knew he came from them. He was also... A man in waiting to be king. Moses could have become a pharaoh. He was a descendant by adoption of Thutmose I. And he was adopted by a woman who became, in essence, the pharaoh of Egypt herself. Pretty interesting. Go to to Hebrews chapter 11. Because what we find with Hebrews chapter 11, as we've already found, that Moses had trouble with becoming a pharaoh. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, New Testament. Boy, I'm working up a sweat. and I put on a long sleeve shirt, and it was a mistake. Double mistake. I'm doing my own laundry now. Oh, I appreciated her to begin with. I really did. All right, verses 24. 26 of chapter 11 in Hebrews. Are you there? This is the faith chapter. We've read this passage before. 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be the call, be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing in rather to endear Ill, Ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. We know from uh, the book of Acts in chapter 7 that Stephen said that he figured his people would know that he was there to bring salvation to them. This strongly implies that Moses also had some sort of idea that he had a prophet's calling to lead these people out of slavery. We don't know how deep he knew it, but the inference in the chapter, in seven, chapter 7 of Acts is he knew this much. So think about it. We have, we have his mother who is in essence the Pharaoh. She's married to a man named Thutmose II who never really serves very long. He dies suddenly. We don't know that much about him. But he has a son named Thutmose III who would have, if this theory is correct, been the through adoption would have been the brother or stepbrother of Moses. Both of them could potentially have been Pharaoh. So when Thutmose takes over, What does history tell us? Well, history tells us that the first thing Thutmose did, we don't know how Hatshepsut died. There she is again. Oh, actually, that was Thutmose, I'm sorry, that was Thutmose II, and that is Hatshepsut. And that is Hatshepsut's mummy. Or should I say Moses' mummy? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, no, I'm not this is Thutmose the when Thutmose the took power in Egypt he immediately tried to destroy the memory of Hatshepsut we know this because he destroyed Manya. he didn't get them all and and archaeologists have put it together that there used to be a lot of them he defaced some of them this is one of them what does that imply you what he hated her great hostility she had been the regent when when Thutmose the had died he had been very young And she had ruled and apparently not quickly given up that power and he despised her now if he despised her now i'm asking you to speculate that's true if he despised her what do you suppose he might have thought of her adopted son probably despised him too you add to that that moses probably was known to hang out a lot with those slaves and to identify himself with those lowly hebrews you add to that the whole history of the Egyptians distrusting them because they think they might be another Hyksos, and suddenly you have this picture of potential hostility between the III and Moses that was just waiting for an excuse to erupt. And that's where we go back to chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. We can look at it perhaps with more context. Are you there? I sound like I'm blind. Are you there? Are you there? Verse 11. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now here's what's interesting. If you read about the Egyptian royals they were viewed as being next to God or basically they were viewed as gods in waiting they were not yet in the pantheon of gods but they were gods in waiting when they built those pyramids to them those were the kingdoms of future gods and they were supposed to rule from inside of those pathetic graves as gods that was their theology so if you're a god-in-waiting How much higher on the scale of importance are you than a lowly Egyptian guard? Do you think, now legally, if you and I went out and we killed a guard, say a security guard, we would expect the law to come after us. Moses was potentially a future Pharaoh. He could have gotten away with this, he could have justified it with almost anything he wanted to say. So, why is he so furtive? Maybe because there's somebody in power now who's looking for an excuse. To get rid of Moses you see what I'm saying again this is speculative but it's all we have let's go to verse 12 well it's not all we have we have the scriptures but I'm trying to get some background here verse 12 so he looked this way and that and when he saw there was no one around he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand he went out the next day and behold two Hebrews were fighting with each other and he said to the offender why are you striking your companion but he said who made you a prince or a judge over us are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. Why might he be afraid? Because he knows most of the. I'm, I'm speculating again, but I think it's reasonable to look at all of this that the possibility is, is, he knows that they're just looking for an excuse to get rid of him, and he's just given it to them and said, Surely the matter has become known. Verse 15. When Pharaoh. I'm guessing Thutmose III heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So now you know, as someone used to say, the rest of the story. Old Paul Harvey when I read these passages now after studying the history and seeing that there are theories that really are more formidable than I'm presenting them, that it was the Thutmosis, this all makes additional sense. That he should be adopted by Hatshepsut, who later became a regent, a pharaoh in Egypt, and that the hostility between her, her, her stepson, the, another son of her, her father by another wife, and her adopted son, would be such that that adopted son would be on the verge of being treated as with the great same great hostility with which she was treated when she was dead. And all Ftmus III had to do was wait for an excuse. and if he knew that the Hebrew that this Moses was hanging out with the Jews, he must have been watching all the time. I'll bet it didn't take that long to find out that he had killed that guard. Anyway, that's what ultimately chased him out of Midian. I've got notes here to end the sermon with and I'm trying to remember exactly what their context was and I can't so I'm going to leave it be. It's best not to tell a story when you don't know where it's going. Take it from me, I've done it before. (laughs) Um, I'm going to end the sermon there. Does that make sense to you? Okay, and in the midst of it we also got a review of the first part of Moses' life. He's going to spend the next 40 years as a shepherd and when he comes back if the theories are correct, he's going to face the son of Thutmose the Third, a man called Amenhotep the, the Second, who can be who who is probably the Pharaoh of the Exodus, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. Any questions or comments? for it past sentence. Thutmose the Third. Thutmose the was the son of her husband Thutmose the They didn't have him. He was the son of one of his other wives. Yeah, I probably didn't explain. It. I should have had a chart, but I didn't have a chart. Yes, she was, and a stepson, and and there were. I think there were others, but the, those were the those were the ones standing in a position to take power if something should happen. She had one adopted son, Moses if this theory is correct, which I believe it is. It was his stepmother that Thutmose III hated. Yeah, she was. And you see this too with, with polygamy. You see it in the scripture that, that I've mentioned it before. Even when you look at it among the Jews, these guys will have more than one wife, but there's always one that they love. And there is resentment among all the rest of them. And I don't know what the situation was in that family, but that's the way it always occurs. And the, the, the whole story of Joseph to really understand the, the hatred that Joseph's brothers had for him when they sold him into slavery, you just have to go back and see that Jacob not only favored Joseph, he favored Rachel and he favored Benjamin. And when he, Esau was coming at all of them, remember that? And he thought Esau was coming to kill him. He put all those other families out in front and put Joseph and, and not Benjamin yet, but Joseph and Rachel behind everybody. And you're one of those boys. What are you thinking? I mean, that, that would break your heart and make you very angry. And it was probably true in the royal family too. This usurper, this Jew, this guy who wants to hang out with the slaves, he's a potential rival of mine? I'm not only going to wipe out stepmama's memory. You give me an excuse and I'll wipe out Moses' memory too. It fits. And as we will see, down the line it fits as well. So on that note, I know it wasn't a deep Bible study but did you get something out of it let's pray Lord we praise you for your word we know we live in a world that does not view any of this as historical but it's amazing when you start delving in how much you've left behind to show us the truth so much of what we call history in this world is not history at all but we know that we can trust your word and Lord wherever I could be off I just pray for your mercy and grace and wherever I am on, on this, I pray that you would bless us with the joy of knowing that your stories are not just stories, that they are very, very real, and that they happen to very, very real people in a very, very real world that you see in the ever-present even, present even now, even as we only look back at it as ancient history. We praise you, Lord, that the salvation that you brought to Israel is the same salvation through Jesus Christ that you brought to us all, that you are a God of glory, a God of salvation. That you are all the promises of your scripture and we praise you lord that all of those promises are ultimately kept and we pray in jesus name amen It's your breath in our loneliness. So we pour out our praise to you only Why don't you go ahead and stand? I know sometimes we come to church on Sundays and our numbers seem so small and it's an easy thing to get the surge. I, I want to urge you as I think Brenda was trying to, trying to say, don't be discouraged. The God who we have always worshipped is still the same God we have always worshipped. His promises are always true. And even as we're going to see in Exodus, there are times when God takes us to the very brink of defeat before showing us his glory. They were standing right on the shores of the sea with the armies of Pharaoh coming at them. And the night slowed them and God's glory stopped them and then he opened up that sea in a way that no one could possibly have expected and they traveled right on through it I'm not saying he's going to separate the concrete out in front of this place I am saying that he's the same God who did that the Red Sea so go forth in his glory and his salvation and his joy and trust that whatever his future is for each one of us and for this church as a whole it is ultimately glorious and as Valerie said, everything is for something better later on. Go in His grace and in His joy and in His power. Find us online at newlifechurch.today.